How do you choose the right photography software for you? Well, that's what we'll learn in this episode of the Shutterbug Life podcast. This is episode 50. Welcome to Shutterbug Life Podcast. If photography is not just something you do, but who you are, this is a place for you. In this podcast, we talk about everything you need to be, do, or have to reach your true potential. Let's celebrate the creative photographer's lifestyle with your host, my dad, Linford Morton. Hi, and welcome to the Shutterbug Life Podcast. This is your weekly photography lifestyle podcast where we learn how to be better photographers. I'm your host, Linford Morton, but of course, you can call me Lynn. This is episode 50, and in this episode, we learn how to choose photography software. So when it comes to photo software, we have quite a few options, and it can be overwhelming even for experienced photographers. I asked my friend Art Silvergate, who's a photography instructor and meetup leader in Baltimore, to help me sort through the options, and that's what we'll do today. Now, I know my voice sounds a little hoarse today, so don't be thrown off by it. I'm, I'm on the tail end, hopefully, of a wicked cold, which started, oh my goodness, about three days ago and completely wiped my voice out. But it's coming back, so you will hear some of it in... My interview with Art, which I did yesterday, and I wasn't as far along as I am right now. So anyway, voice or no voice, the show must go on. So that's what we will talk about today. Well, Art Silverglate gave me a software education right on the Photo Plus Expo show floor. So I invited him to come and share his knowledge with you. See, when it comes to software, I'm a pretty simple guy. I was an early adopter of Apple's Aperture software, as I am with most Apple products. And it was the software that Apple created for, at the time, they heralded it as one of the best softwares you could buy for photography professionals. So I jumped right on it and loved it, really did. And it did everything I needed to do. It not only let me edit, but it also allowed me to do workflow management. And then it allowed me to launch Photoshop and do any really serious edits that I needed to do that, that you couldn't handle with an aperture. So I've, I've loved this software for a long time. And, I, and, and as a result, I just use that and Photoshop. And I've just resisted the urge of going to Lightroom because Lightroom basically does the same thing anyway, so I already have a good solution. Well, of course, Apple announced a while back that they would no longer be supporting Aperture. And so Aperture users, you know, Adobe Lightroom was just around trying to scoop us all up and people were creating all of these ways that you could migrate your databases to, to Lightroom. And so... I'm standing on the edge of, you know, the the show floor, and I mentioned this to Art. 
and art launches into this is what Adobe Lightroom is good for. This is what, and then he started. So then once, you know, once I heard him, he'd give such a thoughtful discussion. I started asking about some of the others I was interested in. I said, you know, what about some of these standalones? Because as, as you recall, I was thinking about when I, when I returned from photo plus expo, I had five areas that I wanted to focus on. And I remember I, in one of my episodes, I talked about my five takeaways and I would go into each one in more depth on a, on an upcoming episode. Well, with that in mind, hearing art go deep on, on one of them, I asked about some of the others and he was so helpful. I thought this, he's clearly going to be the answer for my episode on software. He was gracious enough to come along and talk with me and share his knowledge on on photography software. Now this is broken up into we we talked about so much stuff. It's it's it was an hour long and knowing that you might have to break this up, I thought I'd help you out and break it up for you. So part 1 will deal primarily with Adobe Lightroom and Photoshop. And then after that, in part two, we will deal with the others, Photoshop Elements, Google, the Nick software, the On1, Suite, Topaz, uh, Topaz Labs, um, Perfectly Clear and Lucid, um, GIMP, and a few more. So this is what we will talk about with art. So here is part one. Okay, I'm with Art Silverglade. We're going to talk with Art about photography software. And welcome, Art, to the line. Art, how how are you? Fine, and you? I'm doing just great. So, you know, as I said in the intro, when we met at the show floor, I was just blown away with not first how much you knew about photography software, but by comparison, how little I knew. Okay. Because <laughs> I have been, you know, an old stuck-in-the-mud using... Um, Apple Aperture for a long time. Correct. And so, you know, just I was comfortable there and resisted doing anything else. And and, and now, of course, it's no longer being supported. So I've got to make a move. So let's just talk about all the options. We'll start with the big two, Photoshop and Aperture. Tell me a little bit about Photoshop and Aperture and why you would use one or when you would use the other. Well, the two I would talk about would be Photoshop and Lightroom. And sorry, and Lightroom. See, I'm still stuck there, man. <laughs> yeah, Aperture was a good program at the time, and I did have it on a Mac. The only problem I found was they weren't updating it. Exactly. Um, I had heard rumors at the time that they were going to make it a standalone program, but I guess it didn't pay for them to do that. So the big one right now is probably Lightroom if you're a digital photographer. Okay. It. Basically, the, the main idea behind Lightroom is it's a database of your images. Mm-hmm. So by using it correctly, you can find any image by date, by a rating, very easily. So when you, if you're a digital photographer, you're going to accumulate 15, 20, 30, 50,000 images in a real short period of time. Right. Because it doesn't cost you anything to shoot digital as it did with film. So you tend to take a lot of pictures. The problem is sometimes it's finding them. <laughs> exactly. So what 
Lightroom allows you to do and did from the beginning was allow you to what they call tag the photograph. And there are basically three ways that really work well to do it. One is by color. When you import the image, you can color it red, green, blue. And then you can find your images by that, which kind of limits you in some ways. But if you pick everything that's blue, let's say that's the one photograph out of 10 that you've taken that you want, you could still end up going through five, 600 images at a time. Mm-hmm. The other rating you can do is by stars, from one star to five stars. Say one star being the lowest, five stars being the best. And again, you can say, give me all my five-star images and end up with a couple hundred images. The best way I feel to do that is with text. You can put into your image a text, say, Washington, D.C., Washington Monument, White House, Interior. So if you did Washington, D.C., Interior, White House, you can then search by White House Interior, and then all the pictures you took inside would come up as the White House Interior. Or you can say Washington, D.C., and a lot of pictures you're taking around Washington, they'll come up. One of the other instances I use is I have what I call self-assignments, things that I do. And some of my self-assignments are hands, reflections, um, and a couple others that escape me for the moment. Mm-hmm. But when I go in and look for my images, I can go hands. And if I added that into the image's text, all my images of hands come up. And then I can say either further, I have pictures of hands uh, stroking a guitar. So I can say hands, guitar. Again, that limits my images coming up, and I can work on those. Mm-hmm. Depending on how deep you want to get, you can put in 15, 20 words for each image. Mm-hmm. So you're basically tagging keywords on every image you, in, you upload to, the, to, your, to Lightroom. Correct. Mm-hmm. And that helps me find the image. Now, once you find the image, you want to work on that so you can develop the image. Right. And in development, you can do a lot of things. You can check for spots. As you know, everybody has sensors that sort of work and nice to clean it off, but not everybody goes around to doing that. So you can find spots on your images really easily and fix them with the spot healing tool. You have graduated filters you can use on your image. And what I really like about that is if you click the letter V, it creates a virtual, excuse me, um, it is the letter V. You can create a virtual image. So you never work on your original, mm-hmm. but you're not creating a second image. Mm-hmm. All it is is pointing it to a certain image and then adding whatever changes you make to that image. So you're taking up less room. Right now, I have 1.8 gigabytes of images. Mm. So that can start to add up really quickly. So by doing virtual copies, I can make all the changes to my virtual copies. So is that something you you, you recommend you do every time you start working on an image? Is yes. Doing the, and if you don't do that, what happens? Do you Nothing, because in Lightroom, you can go back through the history uh-huh. and start with the original. Okay. So you, you're basically, what it's doing is making all the changes that you request, be it spotting, exposure changes, cropping, whatever you want to do the image is actually a step that you do that's carried off in the history. So when you call the image up, you can look at the history and go back to where you originally started. You have your original image, and you can wipe out the history, or you can start from, again, the beginning image and make the changes that you want and then save it. So I always thought that Lightroom was completely non-destructive. As, it is. As Aperture was. 
It is if you're thinking about it, because the changes that you're making are basically the steps that you went through. So it shows you what you've made the changes mm-hmm. in the image, but it doesn't do that to the original image. Matter of fact, you, can't, you cannot save back to the original image. When you want to save the image or export it, say, as a JPEG, you are actually exporting it as a JPEG. So it asks you to name the file, how big you want it to be, 100%, 80%, with all the changes that you've made. Okay. So you're not destroying anything. Okay, good. Now, you, you're organizing with tags, but you can also organize in folders. How do you do that? Do Because do, do I know some people will nest them chronologically, mm-hmm. you know, 2016, then January, and then each shoot going in order as a shoot. How do you do that? Well, I don't. I tend to do the shoot for the day, and I just give the folder a number because I can do my searching through the uh, through the uh, search database in a sense. But I know of other photographers who will shoot, say, at Conowingo Dam, and they'll create the date that they shot and then put it in a subfolder code Conowingo Dam where there's a lot of eagles that people like to shoot. Or mm-hmm. if they're shooting, say, they're going to a parade, say, in D.C., and they will put in the date, create the folder by date, then put in a subfolder for Washington, D.C., or any way you want to do it, really. It, that's what I like about the ability with Lightroom is it's totally flexible to the way you want to set up your folders. But it's one of those decisions when you, when you once you make that decision, you're stuck with it? No. No? How easy you can, is it to fix? You can go in and change the name of a folder. You can take the images and move them to another folder that you create. And the most important thing with Lightroom is do the moving inside of Lightroom. If you do it outside of Lightroom, let's say uh, File Explorer or any of those, File Finder in, uh, in uh, the Mac, the problem is going to be Lightroom doesn't know you've made the changes. So every change that you make, changing the folders, moving f- images around, should be done inside of Lightroom. That way it keeps a record of what you've done. So, the, so then when you import the files into Lightroom and you're saying when you make your changes, you're not going to go straight to the file, but you're going to go into Lightroom and find the file there and make your changes. Correct. Okay. So you can create new folders. You can put things together. And another thing that Lightroom does, and a lot of people don't know, is it does what they call uh, smart folders. Mm. So what you can do is you go down and create a smart folder and you say in that folder, in the text, I want all the images from, say, New York. Mm-hmm. Then that folder will create all the images from New York, but it doesn't move them, doesn't change them. It just points to where all the folders for New York that you put in the, in the uh, keywords. And you can even break down further. You can say New York, Brooklyn Bridge. Mm-hmm. And anything that has New York or Brooklyn Bridge in it, so let's, uh, excuse me, let's say just Brooklyn Bridge. So you put in Brooklyn Bridge, it'll create a folder, what they call a, a smart catalog, of all the images in your database. In other words, all the images in the folder that you've brought into Lightroom will then be in that category, smart catalog, of just Brooklyn Bridge. Okay. And you can you know, take it down further, let's say just Broadway mm. or Times Square. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want all the images I've shot in Times Square. Mm-hmm. So now you have a quick way of getting to it. You just click on that catalog or smart catalog, and all your images from Times Square will come up. Makes things a lot easier to find when you have twenty, thirty thousand images. Right. 
Now, where where do the physical files reside? Do you have to actually import them into Lightroom, or can you point, point you put them on your hard drive and then point Lightroom to it? How, no, does, how you, does that work? You have to import. There's an option. Well, not an option. The only way to do it is to import the images. They could be on an external drive. Right. They could be on an internal drive. They could be on a um, any kind of any area where the system can find them. So you so you're not really you're importing them, but the files, physical files, are not like inside of Lightroom itself. You can have no, them somewhere else. That's correct. What you're doing is importing where they are, basically. Okay. Right. So okay. So when I when I come home from with my camera for my shoot. I download them to to a hard drive. Let's say I want to keep them on an external drive, and then I, I open Lightroom and I say import from this drive. And as long as they stay there, Lightroom will always find them. Well, no, you can move them inside of Lightroom. Right. Or right. what you what you can do. There's a couple of options you can set up for Lightroom. You can import directly from a card and mm-hmm. say I want to store these on my C drive in a certain folder. And it'll do that for you. Mm-hmm. What I find best to do is to copy them to a folder inside of Lightroom. I don't remove them from my card until I'm sure they're there. So what it's doing for me is importing the images into my, let's say, in this case, my external drive, which is my F drive, mm-hmm. to a folder called New York. Okay. So it's making a copy from the card in my reader to my hard drive and saying, okay, this is where the ah. files are going to be. And in that time also, as I'm importing them, I can put keywords on them. Okay, okay. And then when I'm sure that, then what I'll do is I'll take my card out for the moment, make sure Lightroom can find all my files, and then I'll re-image the card. Okay, all right, very good. So this way I'm sure I have the images before <laughs> right. I go and redo my card. Right, right, right. Okay, and so then Lightroom will not only import them, but also place them where you want within your own library structure. Correct. All right, good. Okay. Okay, so you've imported your files. You have them where you want them on a typical image. Um, my, my friend Steve Rosenbach has what he calls the 80-20 rule he does with editing. Most images, he'll do just some basic things. Do you have something mm-hmm. like that? Like he said, you know, you'll correct color, you'll sharpen, you'll crop, you'll do these. What do you do as as a baseline for all your images? Well, one of the things, if you're shooting raw, one of the things you have to remember is, is there's no sharpening involved. When you're looking at the back of your camera on what you shot, you're chimping, you ha- that's actually a JPEG. This mm-hmm. camera has turned that into a JPEG so you can view it. Lightroom, when you're viewing them, basically does the same thing, gives you a sort of JPEG image, but you have to make all the changes. So you can go into the develop module and change the color temperature, change a particular color, sharpen the image, crop the image, do uh, camera adjustments. There's an option inside to do some distortion correction, Mm -hmm. which I always turn on. The first thing I do when I bring it in is look at the image, see if I like it. I will then sometimes star the image besides the text right. saying this is going to be, give it five stars. Rate this it, right. My, yeah, I'm going to rate it as my one I want to work on. So the first thing I'll do is I'll go in and I'll do any color corrections. Then I'll do some spotting. In other words, I'll turn on inside of Lightroom. There's an option to visualize all of your 
spots or sensor problems or maybe a piece of hair on there. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to see that by doing a check mark at the bottom that says when you're in the spot mode to visualize your spots. Mm-hmm. And you can correct them. It also does uh, content aware. Mm-hmm. So you can make some changes if you need to do that. Again, I'll look at the image, see if I like it. I'll do some cropping changes there. And then I'll go down to distortion control. And there's the first two that I'll click. Uh, let me take a look at that. Let me bring that up in mind so I make sure I'm saying the right things. Mm-hmm. But what it does is if you have some distortion, I did some pictures in New York of the um, Flatiron building mm-hmm. with a fisheye lens. Mm-hmm. And what I had it do for me when I brought it in is I went down to the develop module and I checked on, let me do this, lens correction. I did enable profile correction and remove chromatic aberration. Those two I always check. And that gets rid of that fringing, you mm-hmm. see the chromatic aberration, that little purple color or the right. green color you see on the edges. Right. Enable profile correction is inside of Lightroom are... Almost every lens manufacturer out there, Tamron, Sigma, Nikon, mm-hmm. all of them out there, and they have certain corrections that they make to the lenses. No lens is perfect. Right. So what they do is they send the profile over to Lightroom. Lightroom adds it in. And when you say enable profile correction, make some corrections to the image with that lens and that particular camera. Mm. So that works out nice. Mm-hmm. Then what I'll do is I'll go into noise reduction, mm-hmm. which is basically the luminance. If I... I will blow the image up to three by one, and if I see a lot of noise, I'll use the luminance to bring it down just a little bit. Noise doesn't really bother me. Sometimes I think it actually helps with some images. Mm-hmm. And then if everything's the way I want, everything's set, the last thing I do is sharpening. And the minimum I tend to do is about 25%. So what I'll do is I'll bring the image up to one-to-one, and there's a nice little sharpening screen. You can move around and look at the image. Mm-hmm. I'll try and find an area that needs I think needs sharpening and I'll sharpen it. I don't tend to go more than fifty percent. Mm-hmm. So if it's that needs that much sharpening, you'll get some artifacting when you try and bring it up too high. Right. And it doesn't always work. And at that point then I make a decision. Do I want to print it? Do I want to export it for something else? You can uh print them. Mm-hmm. And you can do a print to file. Mm-hmm. So it'll give you that. The other option is if you're printing you want to look for what they call the um profile corrections for each printer. Right. You can bring those into Lightroom. You can get them from Epson. You can get them from Canon. Almost all the printer manufacturers have an ICC out there that's mm-hmm. sort of a correction for when you print it, it will print properly for them. Uh, Adorama has it for their printers. Mpix has it for their printers. Uh, if you're going to Costco, Costco has it by the... You have to be careful with Costco. You have to find out which... Um, Location. Location you're printing it to right. and get that color correction. And I find the two that I tend to use, uh, actually three, is MPix. Mm-hmm. I like them for their canvas prints. Yeah. Adorama has a nice metal finish that I like for certain prints. It works. Otherwise, I generally go to Costco and I'll either do the matte finish or I'll do the uh, glossy finish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I find for the price, I can't print at home. Right, right. It's gotten to the point where it's so... So inexpensive. inexpensive. I can't. I have a beautiful Epson printer that do thirteen by seventeen, but after I add the inks in and the paper in, right, it gets to be too expensive. Right, <laughs> truth. And you're happy with the with the Costco um, quality, huh? If you 
what I did with Costco is I made three prints up with different uh, exposures in the in the print. Mm-hmm. And then I went to them because I'm looking at a certain screen and I want to match that. You can use um, Color Monkey oh, or X-Rite right. or any of those to get the monitor to match the print. And what I did is I did three different versions slightly, took them over to Costco, asked them to print without color correction. They will do color corrections for you. I turned that off, mm-hmm. gave me the three prints, and I made slight subtle changes to the three prints so I know which one was which. Mm-hmm. And then I found the one that matched close to my monitor. Mm-hmm. That's a uh, setup that I use for Costco. Okay, so you, you, you created your own c- calibration, if you will. Basically, yes. You, I think you really have to do that when you go out outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, being Color Monkey is great, and the X-Rite is great, but the actual printer for you, if you're not doing it at home, mm-hmm. you really have to do some testing with Adorama, MPix, mm-hmm. any of those that you White House, any of those that you go out, Nations. Mm-hmm. Do some testing. Uh, that'll save you a lot of frustration when you say the print came out too light or it came out too dark. Right, right, right. Which you keep hearing over and over. Well, my prints are too light or my prints are too dark. The only way to fix that is to do some color correction, then use the same printer each time. Right. Okay. That'll send some frustration. <laughs> end some frustration. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. I know how that works. And the other thing you can do is you can also print out to a web page from Lightroom. It'll actually create the output for you to upload to a web. The 72 DPI, you mean, like JPEGs? If you want, or higher, yes. Okay. You do the settings up, and then you say print to the web, and then you can upload it. Say you have a website, you can upload your images directly to the website. When you say, so you're printing to the website is basically what you're doing. So wait a minute, like if you have a WordPress, you can just print straight to the WordPress account? Is that what you mean? Well, not directly account. You still have to output it. Um, actually, no, you can. I'm sorry, you can do that now. They do have some built into the um, into hmm. Lightroom. Interesting. So you can print if you have access to it. You can print directly to it. Hmm. Interesting. You also have access if you want to print a book. They uh-huh. have right. a blurb and a couple others you can print directly to. And you basically you say print it out there, and it'll actually send it for you if you have that set up. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to do anything. And the other one that I really like, and I do a lot because I belong to two. I as you know, I organize two. Meetup uh, groups, mm-hmm. and I'll print out to a slideshow, and we can add music now, like a PowerPoint mm-hmm. keynote kind of a thing. Yeah. Okay. And okay. it does it automatically. We do that each time we have a competition at the Baltimore uh, Meetup group. Yeah, Creative Exposures. Yeah, Creative Exposures Baltimore. Mm-hmm. We create a slideshow of for the competition where I go through the image. Each image gets ten seconds on screen, and then I have a key to some. Uh, free music that I found on the internet, mm-hmm. and the thing actually times it and tells me I need longer music, and it'll actually loop the music for me to mm. keep it going until the end. So I could just start the slideshow, sit back, and people can view the images. Nice. nice. Yeah, really, they've really made some nice improvements. The only issue I have with Lightroom is you can't buy it anymore. <laughs> right. You have to get a subscription, uh, and it's $10 a month. Right. Or actually, nine ninety nine, and you also get Photoshop with it. Now, why, why is that? A, why don't you like that option? Because I don't use Photoshop except for layers, and uh-huh. even then, I don't. There are add-ins for Lightroom to do layers. Okay. That you can buy one time, and you don't have to spend ten dollars a month in a sense. I know it's not a lot of money for some people. It just annoys me that I can't 
buy them individually. Right. I would I would still pay ten dollars a month for Lightroom if that's what it came to, but it's the way that Adobe set that up. And it seems a lot of software manufacturers are going for the subscription model. Microsoft right. did with Office, the newest version of Office, and that's what Adobe did, oh, let's see now, probably couple, two, three couple years couple ago. years now, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people didn't like it. I mean, I, it's probably for people like me because I had Adobe, oh, my goodness, <laughs> uh, Photoshop CS2 forever. Right, <laughs> and I would never upgrade. Cause right, I'm like, hey, it does everything I need it to do. Why, why would I? Yeah, why would I spend another two hundred bucks? Yeah, um, that's why they went. When I talked to them at uh, at the PDN show a couple mm-hmm. years ago, when I found out what they were doing, it basically came down to a business model. Of course, of course. I mean, you've got to make money, and working with Lightroom with the number of developers they have and the number of people that they have, this is the only way they could do it. Mm-hmm. Now, do you use Lightroom Mobile? I just started using it. I'm still working into it. Okay. What I like what they did with that is I can work off the iPad and do some really nice things and then transfer it over to Lightroom. So I can work, in a sense, offline. Right. Take my images with me. Sometimes when my wife goes out shopping, I sit there with the iPad <laughs> and work on my images. Right, right. So that comes nice. And then when I come back to Wi-Fi back in the house, it automatically syncs that. Back and to they, your database. They keep, right. Yeah, and they keep adding in more features to the uh, version for the iPad, the mobile version. Mm-hmm. And it'll work actually on your iPhone too if you can work that small and your fingers are that good. Right. So well, I you, find the, the iPad is a better way to do it. Do you have any? Yeah, yeah, a little more screen. Yeah. Do you have to do anything extra to do that, other than when you get the, the I guess um, iPad version of Lightroom? Do you have to do something special to sync it so that it's connected to your database on your on your hard drive? Once you set it up, you don't have to do that. It does that almost mm-hmm. automatically. One of the things I would suggest going is to a website called Lightroom Killer Tips. Okay. It's by Scott Kelby. Okay. LB1. They will walk you through. They have very good videos there to walk you through setting up the uh, mobile version with your desktop version. Mm-hmm. And also, Adobe has their own website where you can go to look at some of this. Terry White and Julianne Cost right. have some really good tips and to set it up, to walk, actually walk you through it. Okay. It's getting easier from when it first was. It's gotten a lot easier. What? You mean the the mobile? Yeah, the mobile, as far as setting it up for the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just setting mine up today when before we got on the line. and It, it seemed to, the wizard, whatever the wizard, whatever they call wizard, seems to, yeah, seem to walk, you, yeah. walk you through easily. All right, yeah, very it, good. It'll, it comes in really handy if you're in a position where you can't take a lot of pictures Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So that's Lightroom, and you say you only use Photoshop for layers. Uh, t- t- talk to me about Photoshop and what it's good for. Well, and- originally, you got to remember what Photoshop was originally set up for. Originally, Photoshop was set up for illustrators. Mm-hmm. The original idea is that you would scan in a photograph, right? And you could go in and do changes to it and uh, also it had built into it the ability to do layouts for pages mm-hmm. writing text onto images right that sort of expanded if you buy the whole light uh, the whole adobe suite 
you get a whole range of things that you can do with in images. In design and all that, and right? all that, yes. Yeah. So Photoshop is more... Uh, sort of gotten basically into doing photos, which is what the name indicates. Right. And they sort of stayed in them. They expanded Illustrator and the other parts of that because that's what was requested by people who do this professionally, say uh, design people and also that some of their products, they also make the web uh, access a little easier, setting up web pages, uh, doing things like that. So Photoshop basically became just for photos and then was I think about 10 years ago now, the people at Lightroom, a lot of them were into digital photography as it was first starting out, and they felt Photoshop was too much, Mm -hmm. too complicated. So they got the okay to design a program which became Lightroom. Mm -hmm. And that was for digital photography, and it's sort of taken off. At the same time, Aperture was out, and the two of them sort of competed with each other. Right. Which I thought was great because they kept adding features. Right, right. When you have competition, you tend to do that. There is some competition out there for Lightroom, but nothing as broad and as comprehensive as Lightroom. Mm-hmm. So what I, at that point in time, since I had both programs, I would take an image from, say, uh, Lightroom, and take it over to Photoshop to do some layering. I wanted to put a texture into an image, mm-hmm. uh, overlay that, and, and get some nice images out of that. Or I wanted to add text in in a certain way. I would go over to um, Photoshop to do that. Okay. What has happened over the years, though, is you can now do text inside of Lightroom. You can do a, a additional other features inside of Lightroom. They keep adding in new features. It's a matter of learning everything that's in there. Right. And it gets to be tough. That's why I would recommend Lightroom Killer Tips is a great website for learning what you can do with Lightroom. And they have some old videos on there you can go through to learn a lot about Lightroom. And they keep adding features. One they just added in recently was a haze uh, filter. You can actually take haze out of an image. Or you can add haze to an image. Yeah, I saw that. Have you tried that? Yes. Works really nice. Actually, there's another program that used to do that called Perfectly Clear. They mm-hmm. sort of taken what Perfectly Clear did and put it inside of Lightroom as a haze filter. They tend to do that, I've noticed, as, as other add-on products come out and mm-hmm. people want that feature, they will bug, uh, Adobe and Adobe will add it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things they added in was Content Aware that was available in Photoshop. It's now available in Lightroom. So uh, that makes some of the features they're taking out of Photoshop, putting in Lightroom, which a lot of people requested that. The, and like I said, the graduated filter, they've added in. They also add in the brush now. The brush will do uh, adding haze in. You want to haze, add haze into a certain area, you can actually brush haze in now. Yeah, wow. Yeah, the features they keep adding in are really nice. But the one feature they added in a, uh, about a couple of months ago that drove everyone crazy is they changed the import screens. And I never heard so much complaint <laughs> on a lot of the forums for Lightroom almost immediately. How did they change it? Uh, they changed the look of the import screens. It looked a lot more, in my sense, and, and I liked it because it looked a lot more professional. Okay. It had a lot more features, but a lot of the people have been using Lightroom for years liked the, the idea they were doing it, but they didn't like the fact that they didn't tell anybody they were doing it until you did an update. 
And then a lot of people went in and they couldn't figure out how to use it. Oh, I see. So it totally changed things. And the screams were tremendous out there. So Lightroom, when I was up at the show with you, Terry White was there from Lightroom and said, and he was doing a presentation on Lightroom. The first thing he said, yes, I know. Nobody likes what we changed. We're changing it back. Just give us a little bit of time. The wow. next update, we're changing it back. So Adobe listens to their mm-hmm. users, which is unusual these days. Right. right. But they had so much and so many people complained that they put it back. Now what they, my understanding they're going to do, hopefully in the future, is give you an option. Do you want the new one or do you want the old one? What, just for feature by feature or the, the update? I mean, the up, as, a, as an update, you're going to have an option in under preferences when you set up Lightroom. Do you want the new import screen or do you want the old import screen? I see, just for import. Okay. Yeah. It was changed the import screen totally, and a lot of people did not like that. Hmm. But they still want to bring it back, huh? That's my understanding. They're <laughs> going to bring it back because when they tested it, a lot of people liked it. But okay. people who liked it, interestingly enough, people who were new to Lightroom, not right. the old users. Right, they weren't interested. A lot of the older users said, no, nah, not interested. Yeah. Don't change it. Got it. Well, that ends part one of the interview with Art on software. I hope you found that helpful. We went through in depth... Adobe Lightroom, and we talked about Adobe Photoshop. And now we'll talk about some of the other options you have as photographers in part two.